Welcome to the Menlo Midweek Podcast, where we are getting some extra time with the speaker from last Sunday's message to go a little deeper, get some extra thoughts about the message, and get a behind-the-scenes look at their teaching process. We're your hosts, Mark and Jess. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Menlo Midweek. Well, hello, everybody. This is Menlo Midweek, and my name is Jessica, and if you've been a longtime listener... And you know that I start the podcast. That means Mark is not here. So don't turn it off yet because I think it'll still be good. We'll find out. Uh, we have a special first time guest host here. Megan. Megan Cole, how are you? I'm great. I'm excited to be here. Yay. This is fun. Can you tell us a quick second or two about yourself? Second. That's not very long. <laughs> you could take longer than a second. Okay. I'm a Bay Area native. Nice. I'm currently the Menlo Kids Director at Menlo Park. And I'm super excited to talk about what it means to be a good neighbor, yes. something I'm deeply passionate about. Yay. Oh, awesome. Thanks for being here. And of course, we have Phil. What's up? <laughs> Just <laughs> Phil. Just Phil. Thanks for being here today, Phil. Of course. Uh, to get started, we talked a little bit this last year's. We're in a new series for the Bay. Uh, can we just talk about a little bit like what does that mean and why are we doing this series? Yeah, I think... Um, we've all sort of watched in church culture how quickly it has become a thing that churches, especially if they're going to maintain a vision of orthodoxy, like there is a specific understanding of what it means to pursue God. It's not just an all skate. Like we think that the Bible creates a framework. Unfortunately, a lot of times if you sit within that slipstream of orthodoxy, uh, it can be very easy in your community to become way more known for what you're against than what you're for. Uh, and, and I understand why that's the case. I think some of that is posture. I think some of that is position. Um, but we really want to be known for uh, what we are for as a church, even as we maintain and hold to orthodoxy. Uh, we think that God is for our city. We think that God is for this region. And so we want to make sure in as much as we can that our posture really communicates. Like the reason that we love God individually is because he first loved us. It's that originating, initiating love of God. And so I think our heart is that, and that we would model that to other people as well. And so, uh, yeah, hopefully we set the table well for that this last week, and we'll give people some handles as to how to think about it. Uh, but I think it's also going to give us kind of this bigger brand as a church that when we think about stuff like Serve Your City in the past, which is very driven to the person that attends Menlo, like that makes sense to them. Uh, to think about something like for the Bay as almost in some ways a supplement or replacement to that language, it can make sense for Menlo folks and make immediate sense uh, to folks that you interact with in your neighborhood and community. Absolutely. So this was week one. We talked about loving the Bay. Um, so give us a little bit of summary on your service. Yeah, so uh, we spent some time in um, Mark chapter 12. Jesus is, is interacting with religious leaders. Really, there's, we think, three specific interactions or tests that he's getting uh, pressured between the Pharisees, which are like crazy, like tons and tons of rule guys, and then the Sadducees that actually only believe that the first five books of the Old Testament um, were the kind of definitive law things that they needed to maintain. So there's already some tension in the religious system. And then a scribe who we think also may have been a Pharisee, but seems to has some genuine curiosity spiritually, comes to Jesus in the midst of all that and says, what's the greatest commandment? Um, and Jesus answers him, and he quotes the Shema, 
which is a really important text to the Jewish people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. Um, and then he says, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, there's no greater commandment than these. And even the way that I'm describing that, he's, he's trying to be nuanced. He's trying to say, like, these two things are inseparably connected. And so we talked this weekend about, if you're a follower of Jesus, the way that you love God is the way that you love people. That's, that's the most easy expression for us to go, I, I really love God, but I hate people. The Bible would say, you don't actually love God, um, because the manifestation, the primary way that we love God is to love others. And uh, if we go, yeah, yeah, but like, y- you have no idea how bad the others are in my life, and I would just say, uh, man, I am so glad that that is not the standard by which God chooses to love people, because he would love mm-hmm. none of us. And so we model for others the same kind of love that God has modeled to us. Yeah. At any point, you can just jump in and ask questions. I should have said that before. (laughs) (laughs) I was like figuring it. I'm like, how does this go? Yeah. Uh, I know one thing you talked about in your sermon early on was the covenant relationship that God had with Israel Mm -hmm. that was like so core. Can you unpack that? That word is a fancy word. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So I think in in our cultural context, Really, we have no commitment. We are untethered to reality. So in case anyone's not sure about that, uh, we are living sociologically in a time that 20 years ago we, we referred to as postmodernism, uh, which basically means there is no absolute truth. We've just untethered. We're in like post-postmodernism now. Um, and so where that shows up, uh, I think probably the clearest example of this, and I'm not, I'm not about to jump into cultural war, war stuff here, so I'm just going to I want to be very careful how I say this. The, uh, the place that this shows up most prominently is marriage. Uh, so marriage in the Bible is a covenant, and I'm not trying to make any political statements. I'm just saying from a biblical perspective, the covenant of marriage, every time we see it show up, is one man and one woman for a lifetime. And the foot of the cross is even. Like <laughs> This is not one group of people or another. We all mess up. We all need grace for this. We have people that are divorced and remarried. We have people that are like trying to figure out what this looks like in their life. But marriage, in the way that the Bible understands it, is much more durable because it's a covenant relationship. Mm-hmm. What we did in America, particularly with the innovation, I think in the 80s, innovation, deviation, how you want to, there's probably a lot of terms we could describe to it. Um, but with a term called no-fault divorce, we really moved marriage from more of a covenant understanding to a contract. And a contract is a mutually agreed upon structure by which both of us benefit. And if at some point one of us doesn't benefit, we create things inside of the contract to get out of it, right? That's mm-hmm. why we've all mm-hmm. switched cell phone contracts. Like mm-hmm. we all have these examples in our life yeah. where we had a contract till we didn't. And so the vision of God to the uh, Jewish people, his people in the Old Testament, was a covenant relationship. It was unbreakable. It was inseparable. God initiated it. God maintained it. There was nothing that Israel could do or, by the way, can do today uh, to lose this unique facet and relationship with God. Um, and that's not like if you think, whoa, what are, what are you saying about geopolitics in Israel? I'm not saying anything. I'm simply saying when we look at God's unique relationship with his people, uh, it, it was unshakable. This word Yahweh and their understanding of their God was so reverential, it was so deferential, uh, that when we think about the word Yahweh, uh, we think maybe if you're familiar with that word, Y-A-W-E-H, Yahweh, uh, but actually the Masoretes, this group of scribes, they added vowel pointing to Hebrew, um, and 
if you roll it back, yeah, they could pronounce all these things, but Yahweh was intentionally written the way that it was written as Y-W-H in English. Um, it was written to be unpronounceable. Mm. Uh, so it was the name you didn't say. Mm-hmm. And so even uh, when, um, when Moses says, who should I say sent me, when he's going to go talk to Pharaoh, and the Israelites are uh, in captivity in Egypt, they're enslaved. They're, uh, they're enslaved in Egypt. And uh, God says, tell them, I am sent you. That was like one of those ways that Yahweh didn't have to get uttered. Mm-hmm. And so I talked a little bit about how scribes showed up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I hope it gives encouragement that if you're a follower of Jesus, the, the version of faith and connection that God had to Israel was uh, so interesting because the, the New Testament model we have is that we have been grafted in to that covenant relationship, that if you're a follower of Jesus, that same kind of inseparable, unshakable relationship to the capital C church and to your relationship with God individually, uh, we see little passages or hints, like in Philippians, it says, uh, the work that he began in you, he'll be faithful to finish until the day of Christ Jesus. Like, it is unshakable. Romans 8, the one who foreknew predestined, the one who predestined justified, the one who justified sanctified, the one who sanctified glorified. It is like this highway of work in God in our life that there is no off-ramp to. And I think that's what hopefully this assurance of salvation, sometimes it's referred to as perseverance of the saints Mm -hmm. or eternal security, that all speaks to this covenantal relationship, this permanent relationship with God that we did not originate, um, we just necessitated. We do not keep, God keeps, and we will not guarantee he does. Mm-hmm. Is that answer your question? That answers my question. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. If someone was listening to this and <clears throat> maybe they're uh, not a believer or a new believer or um, someone like us who has friends that are non-believers or new believers, how would you explain all that again, but make it a little more, maybe not explain again, but if they're listening like that sounds great what does that look like in my life how do i understand what it means that there's nothing that i can do right to separate from god's love yeah i was uh having a conversation with somebody last week i was i was back home uh taking care of some family stuff and you know you have childhood friends and and people you know and you know they know what i do for a job and um you know to them i'm just phil they have no idea you know they don't know Mintlow church they're, mm-hmm. they're not christians and uh, they were they were talking about other faiths, and I don't say it as a means of bashing other faiths, but they were just they're just contrasting other faiths and saying, well, you know, I, I've just really found a lot of meaning in this religion or in that faith or in this faith, and I'm just like wondering, basically, why do you think you're better than them? Um, and, and I think that's a really good question, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think there's two things that help me a lot when I uh, am talking to somebody that is not a church person, just. Not again, not trying to convince them. Uh, I don't really even think that's our job. Um, but trying to, as uh, I think it's first Peter says, give a defense for the hope that is within me. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is I think it's true. Like I think it's objectively true, <laughs> uh, which I hope matters. Even if it doesn't matter to our culture, it should matter to us. That what and, and if we leave that in our argumentation or conversation about faith, if we leave that at the curb, it may get you in the door, but eventually if truth is never tethered to what you're saying, you will lose. You will lose the relationship. You'll lose the conversation. Not like a competition, but like your, your influence will be gone. So I, I think it's true. And I would say uh, I read a footnote in an article that I've never forgotten in grad school, and it just said, in the free marketplace of ideas, 
truth wins. And so I just mm-hmm. always believe, man, like we should know the best information. We should have the best, most accurate archaeology. We should listen to the experts in every leading field. Like we should listen because in the free marketplace of ideas, truth is going to bubble to the top. Um, the other thing that I'll say is uh, not only do I think that biblical Christianity is true, I think it's also the only one that's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say that because, uh, you know, this is an old preacher line, but every other world religion ever spells itself D-O. It's what you can do to get to God. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I have to do? What do I have to accomplish? What ladder do I have to climb? Uh, biblical Christianity is the only one that is spelled D-O-N-E. It's already done. And so if, if you tell me about a world religion that is a ladder-climbing world religion, insert your religion of choice. Islam, uh, Buddhism, which is a little bit more of a philosophy, some of the spinoffs like Mormonism certainly fits into this. Um, but I would say those are all contexts in which it is about your moral performance and maybe moral perfection. And I just know myself enough to know I will never measure up. So I think this idea of a covenant God, I think is both true and possible. Uh, so if I was, if I was talking to somebody who, who wasn't a Christian or you, I was counseling or coaching you and you go, how do I have this conversation with someone? And you should be honest. You can be honest about your shortcomings and where the gospel, this good news of Jesus, meets you in your shortcomings. Uh, I think God can do a lot more with our honest shortcomings than our fabricated and pretend performance. Uh, people are watching enough of that in social media and in the world around them. They know it's not true. We should just be honest. I like to define a covenant for the kids as a super promise. Oh. So we talk about how God made like a super promise with his people that's unbreakable, right? And he invites them to live the way that he wants the world to be. And that way people see what God is like and will ultimately choose to follow in God's path, right? It's like the simplest. That's great. Covenant. Super pinky promise. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, I get that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, It's a super promise, right? That's so good. Yeah. I think it's so important to encourage kids to understand, right? That like, God's the sustainer of that promise mm-hmm. because there's so much of like, well, I got to do things, right? right? That nervous energy yeah. that like we feel as adults. I think kids are still like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I got to be liked. How do I get, how do I like, why, what's or going on? I need on? the approval from my parents or yeah. my teachers or I have to mm-hmm. get into that school. Or I think that's absolutely true. I, I also think for kids, you know, you roll the clock back. None of this was perfect. America was not perfect a hundred years ago. Yeah. Um, but I think we roll the clock back and there was some sort of common moral frameworks and what commitment looked like existed, right? Like parents stayed at the same job for decades. There are really bad things yeah. about that, but they stayed at the same job for decades. They stayed in the same relationship. Again, really bad things about that, mm-hmm. but they stayed in the same relationship their entire lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, I mean, kids don't really, this, that idea of a super promise, mm-hmm. what example do kids have of that in yeah. their life? Mm-hmm. I, I can't think of one. Mm-hmm. So I think that's great framing. That's really good. Yeah. Um, so you talked, uh, you said one of my favorite quotes, which is treat yourself. Sure, you're welcome. <laughs> um, <laughs> which, if you don't know, it's from the show Parks and Rec, mm-hmm. uh, one of the best shows out there. Um, fun question. If you had a tweet your, treat yourself day and you had unlimited amounts of money and resources, what would you do on that day? But Someone asked 24 me. 24 hours? You have 24 hours. Someone asked me this question. I was like, this is actually a really fun question. It's a good question. Yeah. Uh, well, we're thinking of the answer to that. I did get some heat about making that reference this weekend. 
that I, I was culturally appropriating by using it. Mm. Uh, and I want to just say, A, uh, it's from a made-up show. Um, and B, I want to be like very sensitive and very kind. And I just think, I just think sometimes we are not giving each other the benefit of the doubt ever. And so, mm. uh, if you're offended by something I say, first of all, to the person that are not listening to this, but if they were, I would say, thank you. Thank you for coming and having a actual conversation with me. And if I ever say something that offends you and I will. Um, please just come talk to me. Send me an email if you're at a campus. Like, cool. Like, let's talk about it. I promise I am not trying to be offensive. So mm. um, just, you know, especially when it's something like that. Uh, so the uh, fake show, Parks and Rec, fake concept, <laughs> treat yourself day. Uh, my day would probably be very boring. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. It's your I, day. Yeah, yeah. Like I would wake up early. I would have coffee by myself on a beach. Uh, I would probably do some journaling and reading for a while. I'd go for a run. Uh, I might, as I get older, maybe even take like an afternoon nap. <laughs> I'd meet some friends for like an extended dinner and hang out. Like I, I just in bed by seven. Not by seven, <laughs> but like by nine. Sure, yeah, probably. You know. I I uh I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on the podcast. I am a semi frequent smoker of cigars, so I probably have a cigar <laughs> at some point. Um, but yeah, it'd be pretty, pretty boring. Is there one thing that you would buy? Oh, mm. a Batman suit. That's a Batman suit. Is that a thing? <laughs> That's what happens the on the episode on one of the oh, episodes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like one of the they characters. They invite a sad friend along, yeah. and that's what he chooses to do. Amazing. <laughs> and it's like a legit, like, yeah, it's a nice I, one. costume. Who yeah. was it that bought the Batman suit? It's Ben Wyatt. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that show in a while. So oh, that's it's one great. of my rewatches. I love it. Yeah, so yeah. Much. That's one of Alyssa's rewatches as well. <laughs> Man, I don't know. I, uh, I like technology, so it probably would be some sort of technology thing. I don't know what, though. A new gaming console. Yeah, do you know this about me that I just bought one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I just bought a PS5 as part of grieving the loss of my mom. So you do what you, you know, gotta do. Gotta, yeah, there there are more unhealthy coping strategies. I can yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. How about you guys? Right now, if I was given like twenty four hours, I'd go to the day spa. Ooh, do that. Total indulgent, relaxing. Yeah, yeah. But then I'd want to do something fun in the mm -hmm. evening. But I'd be in bed by nine. <laughs> Not that fun. Yeah. Speaking of for the Bay, shouting out local places, mm -hmm. Watercourse Way in Palo Alto. Really nice, beautiful spa. You can go in their hot tub, their sauna, massages. It's a great place to treat yourself. Yeah. Are they a sponsor this week? They can be. Yeah. 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 If you want to be for the Bay, you can support local businesses like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, they uh, it doesn't seem like maybe they need the support, but I know, know right? It feels like they're doing fine. Yeah, Alyssa likes if if we go somewhere and I get her a massage, she loves it. Uh, I feel like there was one time we tried to do like a couples massage thing or something, and I knew this about myself, but I was just trying to be like a good husband. I don't want other human beings to touch me, <laughs> and so uh, I just was like, oh, this is the absolute worst. This is so bad. So uh, one and done, one and done. But, yeah, you know. Everybody's got their stuff. Yeah. yeah. I would probably do a helicopter tour yes. of the bay and go like 
San Francisco down to like Monterey. So we could see if, like, see some whales out in the ocean down in the Monterey Bay. Maybe stop in Monterey, do a a good lunch on the beach, Mm. take the helicopter back. Yes. (laughs) No traffic. No traffic. Jessica's good at this. You know? This Uh, is better than my readable. (laughs) You're like, I'm going to hang out by myself. And I'm like, how many people can we fit in the biggest helicopter? I might might roll with Jessica. That sounds like a better day. (laughs) Sounds like a better day. Yeah. And here's the thing. I can be pretty extroverted, but it has to be something like someone else has to have done the work to be like, oh, there's a thing that we're going to do because I just won't. I just don't feel like I have the energy to put into mentally creating what you just did. But yeah, if you want that, we need to be friends because I plan. I am a planner and I will invite everybody. And so good. It's always fun stuff. (laughs) Just a fun person. Um. So you had said, um, let me see if I get this right. Are you getting the best and the other people in your life are just getting the rest? And you were kind of Mm -hmm. talking about with that, that with the treat yourself. And um, I think that's just such an important thing to remember because I think so often we can easily just do our own thing and be in our own mindset and not really think about the others, the people around us, whether like physically right around us or in our neighborhood um how would you encourage people to kind of shift their mindset a little bit and make sure that they're focusing about focusing on the people that are around them and off of themselves yeah i mean i think that the really tough principle in this like it is really tough and nobody wants to hear it uh is that we only give uh out of margin and so uh, if we don't have margin, we don't give. Like we don't care about other people. We don't invest in other people. And it's not even because we, we're unkind. It's because we, we just don't have any energy, space, time, or especially money. And so the metaphor that I like to use around that is uh, that like when your car is running like kind of red line, um, where your, your engine is just like pushing too hard all the time, you're actually damaging your car and you can't go faster. You can't do more. And so uh, I think sometimes the, the way we love other people is starting by saying, I have to create boundaries in my own life where I uh, can have margin. I can have time margin. Uh, I can have money margin. Uh, we have as kind of like a part of the way we think about and spend as a family we have a margin uh, in our budget that's just like a generosity margin. So if there's somebody we know, somebody in our life that needs help, it doesn't even really, for Alyssa and I, it doesn't even need to be a conversation. Like we just help. Um, and I think similarly for time, there are boundaries that I put on my calendar. We were just talking about this before we started recording today, but um, like I, I don't typically uh, book things really early in the morning. And there's a few different reasons for that. Uh, but the other thing that it does is when an emergency comes up, I will always be able to take it in the morning. Mm. And so uh, I think it's creating some of those artificial boundaries. I've heard that, that the the margin in our life is the gap between our limit and our load. And I think that mm. for a lot of us, there is no gap. Like we are either mm. functioning right at our limit or unfortunately for some of us, we're functioning above our limit. And so I think uh, it starts by doing that introspective work of saying, what should I stop doing? Uh, in order that I can have just some genuine margin. And I think you will actually love and care for yourself more effectively. And then you will, as you are formed closer into the image of Jesus, naturally and supernaturally, I think, have some Holy Spirit 
curiosity as to how you love and care for other people. Mm. That's good. Yeah, I have a friend that grew up in Japan as a missionary kid, and people would ship their used tea bags to them. What? So they it was like said once upon a time, right? Like missionaries need your used stuff, right? Like, <laughs> oh, and so no. literally growing up in the eighties and nineties in Japan, this is real. He got American used tea bags. Oh goodness! And it's like, oh my god, that is not culturally aware, right? Like, if he's living in Japan, he doesn't need your American tea. Your garbage. And why don't you just use your tea bag twice and send a box of new tea bags, right? And it's just sometimes being aware of what oh felt needs yeah, yeah. actually are of the people around you too, right? So it's like you talked about in student ministries, getting people's stuff that's basically on the way to the dump, right? right? It's like oh that totally gosh. happens in kids' ministry too. They're yeah. like, one of our we have toys. One here. of our student directors texted me and he was like, Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I did student ministries for a while. And it was like, here's this rundown <laughs> basketball hoop mm-hmm. that doesn't have a net that mm-hmm. is broken. Correct. <laughs> Didn't give me any basketballs to go along but with it. But you can come pick it up, right? <laughs> and you can come pick but it I'll up. I'll tell you what, in student ministry, I can also tell you the times when the people that just got it, and I mean, they were your heroes. You were like, mm-hmm. I want to be you when I grow up, mm-hmm. who would say... I remember we were doing this big cafe remodel in part of our student space years and years ago. And um, I had somebody that just said, hey, are you going to need furniture for that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I knew them well enough to know that they were going to at least have a good idea for me. And they said, hey, there's a designer who's in, this is when I was in Seattle. There's just a designer in Seattle, bring them to the space, describe it, uh, let them pick whatever furniture they think is healthy for the space or appropriate for the space. And then I'll cover whatever they come up with. I'll just pay for it. Wow. And it was not inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And so literally like every piece of furniture was delivered on launch, was like ready and waiting, looked in- wow. incredible, was mm-hmm. awesome. And they just were like, hey, the next generation is worth investment mm-hmm. and involvement, not just my leftovers. And yeah. uh, when you experience that, either for yourself, right? Like young and ministry, I can remember people that would take us out to eat when we were never going out to eat. I can remember mm-hmm. people that were, uh, you know, investing in us or our kids when uh, that was just such a above and beyond thing. Uh, those are, those are huge gifts. And uh, I think that doesn't just go for how do you think about the church or people that work at the church that goes for just like people in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Bible says that we should all be uh, mutually submitting to one another. And I think sometimes we get sideways about where the passage goes after that in Ephesians five, but, uh, the context, like the umbrella is that we are in a submission competition, that we are all trying to defer to one another. We are all, Paul says, trying to outdo one another in showing honor, not mm-hmm. just weird honor culture up, but like that we would honor everyone in our lives. And uh, I think, again, I think we can only do that if there is margin mm. between our limit and our current load. And so if you take nothing else away from this part of the conversation from me, I would encourage you to really look at, if you go, I'm always tired, I'm always busy. Uh, Man, you know, the smartest minds in the world have had the same number of hours in a day as you do Mm -hmm. and more requirements on their time. They just use their time more effectively. And so I recommended a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry this weekend. If you have not read that book, I would highly recommend it. People also say that about Beyonce. Beyonce has the same amount of hours in a day that you do. She sure does. So it's... (laughs) 
and as my just some support staff to yeah. help her. Yeah. As my eleven year old daughter would probably call her a girl boss. Am I using mm-hmm. that term correctly? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this series is three weeks long. So next week we are talking about serving the bay, and then week three is sharing the bay, and it's going to be Student Sunday, which is mm-hmm. going to be awesome. Uh, we've got Donovan, our San Mateo uh, kid, sorry, students director, going to be preaching. It's going to be awesome. So make sure you get to a campus one of those weeks. Um, we also had these cards this week. Do you want to talk about the card a little bit? Yep, yep. So uh, the card comes from a book called The Art of Neighboring. Uh, Dave Runyon, I think, is the author of that book. He's a good dude, and uh, I actually know him. Uh, just super kind and, and um, very, very thoughtful in the way that he thinks about how we extend hospitality to our neighbors. Mm-hmm. I think in Jesus' day, people, they lived very much with their community, almost like commune level. Uh, and so the idea of their neighbor being someone they had to love, well, as long as you were talking about people who were immediately near them, that was pretty mm-hmm. easy. They didn't really mm-hmm. mind that. It was the people who were different than them or believed different or looked different. And I think that's still true today. But I, I also think today... Uh, we don't really know our neighbors. And so when the religious leaders asked Jesus, who's my neighbor, they were kind of hoping Jesus was like the people right next to you, you know, because <laughs> yeah. that would help them exclude yeah. other people. And I think we get that neighbor is bigger than that. But I think sometimes we forget that neighbor also means like the people that yep. live near you. Yeah. And so uh, I have been guilty at times of like that kind of nasty neighbor who I just can tell does not want anything to do with me. Mm. Uh, I have the unique facet of being a pastor. And so once people know that and they learn about it pretty quick, if they don't want anything to do with your church and they, they have assumptions about me just because of that, mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden um, it, it, it can just get cold pretty quick. And so I try to be a good neighbor, but uh, I think it's, it's just a good encouragement. It's been a good encouragement for me. Uh, new in a neighborhood to go, hey, do I know everyone's name? And mm-hmm. so that's what this card does. It allows you to write the names of the the folks that live near you. If that's on other houses in your neighborhood, great. If that's other units in your apartment building, great. Um, but just, hey, who's there? How, you know, even putting it somewhere like on your fridge to be able to pray for them, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to know, hey, what's going on in their world? Oh, they just had a baby, you know? And all of a sudden, just letting the Holy Spirit curiosity show up to say, I wonder if they need a meal train, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we forget, as followers of Jesus, this idea of being a good neighbor. You know, we just experienced loss in my family, and then I had to leave town pretty quickly. uh, And we're new to the community, and everyone that showed up in my life uh, was kind of my faith family in Colorado, faith family earlier in life, or, or Menlo, like people that are a part of our church. And people were just going, like, above and beyond being kind and generous and thoughtful and supporting our family. And I thought multiple times, like, what does this look like if we move to the Bay Area to work at a random job and I didn't have a faith community? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, this feels probably shockingly overwhelming. Yeah. And so I think for us, a lot of times, I think the vehicle uh, to sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with folks, and I'm sort of skipping into week three right now, uh, I, think, I think a lot of that is hospitality. And so if we can know our neighbors and extend kindness and hospitality to mm-hmm. them in moments and seasons of need, change, and transition, uh, I think the Lord will often build relationship that will be a vehicle to share what's that hope inside of you. Like, why are you doing this? Why does this matter to you? So, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that tool will, will help folks as they see it and use it. Uh, we also gave out some um, for the base stickers that are kind of like window cling sticker things. So you can put them on your car put them on your water bottle, put them on your laptop, and hopefully uh, can serve as a 
uh, conversation starter. Hey, what does For the Bay mean? Oh, it's this thing that my church and kind of our community is really all about. We, we know that it's easy for people to hear church and think, oh, they're mad. We're not. What are they against? Really, we want to be known for what we're for. We're mm-hmm. for the Bay. Oh, that's cool. And just a, a next step conversation into, into mm-hmm. faith. So. Yeah, so if you weren't here this last weekend, um, we'll still have the cards available the next couple of weeks. We also have them online. If you go to menlo.church slash for the bay, we have some resources there as well as that. Megan, any question, last minute questions or thoughts you want to share? I have questions for you guys. So I don't know my neighbors well. Like I literally knock on doors to try to get the packages they've taken oh, no. that oh, are no. mine. <laughs> they don't answer their oh, doors. Yes. What are non-creepy ways mm. to meet your neighbors? That's great. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. And isn't that interesting that we all, like all of, the moment you describe that, I have those memories, yep. right? You're mm-hmm. like, I see a picture on my Amazon order of your front door uh-huh. and my package. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it really depends a little bit, I think, on kind of your age and stage and your situation. Uh, I have the benefit of having some really sweet, cute kids. Mm-hmm. And so anytime <laughs> that there's like kind of holidays or stuff around, they want to do stuff for our neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be like, hey, we're going to like make cookies and you're going to just go around and say happy easter and give them cookies mm-hmm. and with that they'll be like an invitation card to church right like that's a pretty low threshold thing mm-hmm. the other thing that we did and i don't really know how this would work in an apartment building but probably twice a year in colorado we were at the very top of a cul-de-sac we would with two or three neighbors that we knew uh throw a block party for mm-hmm. everyone to be able to show up to mm-hmm. uh so i think you know is it possible to do something like that in a clubhouse or a shared space in an apartment building even if you don't know everybody if you know a couple people that could kind of help put it on and use their networks to invite people and then i would say uh it's making more of a difference than you think like people that don't have community it doesn't take very much of it for them to feel different like i remember there was some folks three doors down from us in Colorado, very, very sweet family, uh, kind of been burned by church and very distant. And uh, we did this, and I mean, it didn't even feel like they, they liked it, especially the dad. They were super standoffish, kind of observing, didn't stay super long, left. And then uh, ended up kind of showing up at church, I don't know, a few months later. And I just was having a conversation with them a long time after that, like, hey, what was that thing? What was that catalyst for you? And he said, hey, when you guys threw that block party, uh, no one had ever cared for us like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, bro, let's raise the bar, you yeah. know? Uh, so I think sometimes we're looking for home runs when the Lord would settle for base hits, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, what does that look like? How do we do that well? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, you know, what does it look like to kind of know and use the people, resources, and opportunities that exist where you are? So. Mm-hmm. Before I lived in Menlo Park, uh, I was down in Sunnyvale and we had this um, lawn area in front of our apartment complex. And this was like prime pandemic time. And uh, my roommate and I would just take our lawn chairs and just go sit on the lawn and talk. And that became an open invitation for other neighbors who were outside or walking by or whatever to just come up and talk to us if they wanted. And we ended up having like a weekly hangout after work, like, you know, four or five o'clock on Tuesday nights. Anybody who was available would come out and and could sit there. There were a bunch of kids that lived in the complex, so they all got to play with each other. And even like the complex next door, some of those people came out. And then even um, one of the couples that lived there got married. uh, And one of the middle school girls was like, 
can we throw a wedding for you? And so oh. she like put on her dress. Oh, wow. He put on his suit. Awesome. And they like threw a fake wedding. Nice. Like I even officiated, which I was like, this actually is real, by the way. <laughs> um, they were already married, so it was fine. But it was just like stuff That's like that. Awesome. We did like a 4th of July party. And so I think just like being available, mm-hmm. just being out is just good. And then you and I, both have dogs. Yeah. So that's already an open invitation for people to come talk to us if you like cute dogs. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I've met more like neighborhood neighbors uh, yeah. just walking dogs and they have dogs and they're yeah. like, is your dog friendly? And then yeah. we just stand there awkwardly and are like, what's the human's name? I know the dog's oh, name. Oh, I know. I always <laughs> see those memes of like, I don't know how many dog names I know, but I don't know any of their owners' names. And it's yeah. like, yeah, there's, we go to the dog park. There's, I know all the dog's names. <laughs> And awesome. maybe I, so on the love your neighbor card, can I write the dog's name? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, well, I think that's, you have any other lasting thoughts here? Uh, I didn't know if we want to talk about reorg stuff. Yeah, go for it. Uh, so I sent out a note. Le- I'm trying to think when this comes and last week. Yeah. Last yeah. Week. <laughs> um, I sent out an, I had written it the week before cause I was out of town, you know, just all the things you do yeah. in the world of communication. Uh, I sent out a note last week kind of just letting everybody know a little bit about sort of some of the behind the scenes things that function for uh, for us here at Menlo. And then I talked about it a little bit this weekend, but just want us to be able to have a quick conversation. Um, You know, we're dealing with lots of different things at Menlo kind of all at once, right? And, And that's happening for lots of churches, by the way. That's not just Menlo. On the other side of COVID, ministry needs are different. Um, you know, Menlo didn't just have COVID. There was kind of chaos and crisis added on top of that. And, um, and then giving is typically the, the most la- lag indicator. It's like the furthest thing to happen in church world. Uh, and so even though, you know, we got started together here now three and a half months ago, going on four months ago. Uh, and we've seen some really cool stuff happen. Like we've, you know, merged two campuses and I'll talk about it this weekend. 90% of San Jose is a part of New Saratoga, wow. which in church merger world, that just doesn't that's, happen. Ooh, I got the chills. Uh, that's unbe- awesome. <laughs> unbelievable. Shout out to the team that's leading that. Yeah. They're doing an amazing job. Uh, it's, that's a gift. Um, but that was also, you know, merging those two campuses was a cost-saving decision mm-hmm. um, on lots of different levels. Um, and then the central team, so if you aren't familiar, you know, Menlo Church exists as one church in multiple locations. There are four locations. Uh, the campus staffs are really right sized to those campuses, but the central team that serves all of those campuses, in terms of like just headcount, number of people that work at Central, that number really had not caught up to the chaos, COVID, and crisis of the last three years. And there's lots of good reasons. I'm not trying to Monday morning quarterback decisions that were made <laughs> or weren't made over the last three years. I'm trying to recognize all we can do is deal in the reality of today. And that isn't just about how do we address giving shortfall or a couple million dollars back in our, in our giving. Um, but part of that is just addressing ministry moving forward. And where before uh, I would say it was pretty easy at Menlo for individual tasks that needed to be repeated to be done by a staff member. Um, I think that that sort of robs you if you're a part of Menlo from a deeper level of involvement and investment that I think the Lord would love for you to be a part of, right? When we look at that text in Ephesians, like we talked about earlier, Paul says that really, um, you know, the leaders of the church and, you know, when we think about kind of staff members, that our job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And I think when we don't do that, when our vision of church leadership becomes our job is to create the spiritual product that you consume, 
uh, we reflect a culture more broadly that is not healthy, that is not forming you uh, into this picture of who Jesus is calling you and us to be. And so uh, we reshaped how Central would look, and then we let everybody on our Central team apply for those roles that wanted them, even if it was a different department. We let folks from campuses apply to those Central roles. Uh, and then kind of at the end of it, when all was said and done, there are some folks that opted not to apply. Uh, you know, maybe they were near retirement or they felt like their season at Menlo was to help navigate through this transition. Uh, there were folks that applied and did not get positions, and so they'll no longer be on the staff. And then there were folks that applied and got roles and are in those new roles. And so we'll have, you can go to our website and see some open seats right now from roles that just we didn't feel like were on the team. But when all of it is fully hired, uh, we will have uh, 12 less uh, full-time roles uh, across Central than are currently budgeted. And so uh, that's a lot, that, you know, out of a staff of about 80. Um, and so we want to uh, be really thoughtful. Like those people are creating the image of God with infinite dignity, value, and worth. And we want them to land in places that are God-ordained, that are life-sustaining, that are a gift for them, and they can be a gift too. Uh, and we have to be thoughtful about what Menlo needs in this season as well. So mm. uh, you heard some of that in an email, some of that on stage, but I wanted to be able to communicate it all here. And if you guys have questions that you think would be helpful for folks to, to hear the answers to as well. Yeah, and it wasn't just a reduction in positions, right? It was a restructure, reimagining. Positions became larger, more strategic, more leadership-based than task-based too, right? Right. right. So it's kind of moving us in a new direction. It wasn't just like, we got to save some money, right? It was an invitation to think differently for sure about how yeah, we're yeah. doing ministry. Yeah, and our leadership team did a great job um, sort of framing what those roles needed to be. And what I've said uh, to our staff, and I'll just say to you if you're part of Menlo, is this is going to break things. It's breaking things right now. Um, but I would say the invitation, I think, also includes the chance uh, to also be able to reimagine, uh, you know, if you've ever in business world, there's kind of the red, yellow, green exercise, right? What are the things that we should stop doing? There's mm -hmm. some things that this is going to break that actually we shouldn't fix. Like we should just stop doing that. Um, there are some things that we need to do differently, kind of that yellow light. And then there's some things that we need to start doing that we just haven't been doing. Um, and so uh, I think there's some good things that will come through it, uh, but there will be leadership pain. And there'll probably mm. be things, even if as a part of Menlo, you go, well, it's always worked this way. Well, it, it will probably not work that way um, in the future. And so uh, just kind of hopefully extending grace, extending grace to your campus staff, extending grace to Menlo as we navigate this. And uh, I, was, I was out of town uh, caring for family stuff last week when all this kind of really hit staff. And it absolutely, honestly, like, it crushed me. It was really, really hard for me to not be here for that. Uh, but I think the Lord's already using it. And one of the fun things for me is how many folks that are local who lived here or were committed to living here uh, outside of their time on our staff, uh, who are not on our staff anymore, who I've had great conversations with about what the Lord's doing in their heart as a result of this. It's not universal, but uh, and they are planning on not only continuing to be a part of Menlo, mm -hmm. but continuing to serve. Like they're going to be yeah. a volunteer. And I just mm -hmm. think that speaks volumes. I say all the time. Uh, for church staff, we reveal our character by how we leave. And uh, we just have some supremely high character folks yeah. on our team. Very, very mm -hmm. thankful for them. Definitely. 
And if you're freaking out because Mark isn't here this week, just know that he's actually in Hawaii on vacation (laughs) and he will be back. So don't worry. He was still running our online ministry. What what is his new title? Director of Digital? Director of Digital or Director of Digital Engagement? Engagement, that's it. Yeah. Digital Bishop? Yes. Yes. Digital Bishop. DB. DB. Yeah. Yeah. So he'll be overseeing. I think that has a different name, like a different thing, DB. We probably want to steer clear of. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have any questions, you can text our team at 650-600-0402. You can email mmoranishi at menlo.church. <laughs> See his nice away message, which will then be redirected to me. Um, well, thanks for being here. Great job, Megan. Great thanks job, for joining Megan. us on thanks your for first having time. Me. Yeah. Is there anything you want to say to the people that you haven't oh, said yeah. yet? That you, you walked in thinking, I need to share this. Okay. <laughs> No. <laughs> Great answer. All right. Well, <laughs> this was our first episode with two female hosts. We've had Rochelle Summers has been on, but mm-hmm. there was Mark was there as well. Mm-hmm. So this is our first two female host. Look at that. Passing the Bechdel test, right? Yeah. Did we talk enough yes. to each other? And we didn't talk about boys. Hey. So we passed that best spectral test. Great, great job. <laughs> Were we supposed to talk about boys? Was that no. I mean, if you want to. I mean, we do have some things we can say. But I got some good okay. stories. Uh, yeah, strong. we'll save that maybe for another time. All right. uh, but speaking of volunteering this weekend, again, we're talking about um, serving the Bay. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm assuming it's going to be more focused on outside of the church. No, it's not. Yeah, so we're like going to talk about both, but I'm actually going to talk about more as a next step, what does it look like for you to serve the Bay? Because uh, in, in terms of how do, you, how do you find a place to get involved at Menlo, for a lot of what it means for people in your neighborhood to experience love through Menlo, it's going to happen when they walk onto your campus. Yeah. And so uh, if you are not involved in ministry at Menlo, I'm just going to really challenge you. We don't serve because it's a thing we're supposed to do. In Jesus, we serve because we are servants. It's not what we do. It's who we are. Mm. And uh, if Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, yep. holy smokes, we better, we better jump on board. So uh, we're going to talk about that for sure. We're going to talk about how, how we love one another is actually supposed to be the marker of what the world sees. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be in Ephesians 2 for a little bit where it says, uh, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not as a result of your work, so that no one can boast. Uh, but then it talks about, uh, you should therefore, you have been saved for good works mm-hmm. that have been prepared in advance that you should walk in them. And so uh, just trying to demystify what it means to get involved. It uh, doesn't mean you have to have every answer. It doesn't mean you have to commit your entire working life to it. It just means what does it look like for you to roll up your sleeves and move from consumer spiritually to contributor in our community? Yeah. I believe God's yeah. calling us to do that. That's great. Well, we hope to see you guys there this weekend. Join us at one of our campuses. Join us online. And we'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everybody. Well, thanks so much for listening. And our hope is that this helps you connect deeper to Menlo Church throughout the week. We believe church doesn't just happen on Sundays. And this is just one of the ways you can connect with us and grow in your faith whenever and wherever you're listening. We'd love to come alongside you in prayer to encourage you or walk through anything that you're going through. All you have to do is text our online team at 650-600-0402. Thanks again for tuning in. This was Menlo Midweek.